The Worldcraft Club Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. A time devoted to world building and its impact on narrative, where we discuss any and all topics involving the crafting of fictional settings to inspire your creativity. My name is James. And my name is Seth. And we are your hosts for this delightful half hour. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Worldcraft Club podcast. We are so glad you're here. Look, we're it's a real quick one here. Our friend of the show, Dave Schmidt, who you've definitely heard if you've been following us for a little while, he's just reworked his art style and is now releasing new pages for his webcomic recovery on a weekly basis. So if you like 90s era anthropomorphic animal cartoons and you like the post-apocalyptic Wild West, this is a perfect synthesis of those things and I can't recommend him enough. Find him at recovery.webcomic.com. Dot ws or art by Dave S on Instagram. A link will be available in the show notes. Today we're going to be discussing a world building artifact, right? So sometimes we do things based on like massive themes in world building. Other times we talk about uh, very specific things, and this one's kind of a kind of a bigger one, right? Super science. We're going to be talking about. Um, well, what are we going to be talking about, Seth? Why don't, why, don't, why don't you kick us off? What are we talking about? Sure. So, super science is a really interesting is a really interesting concept because it really encapsulates anything that we can't currently do with our science, or that we can't see ourselves doing in the next maybe twenty years. One of the interesting things about about technology and about science is that you don't know what you don't know until you know it, right? So every time a breakthrough happens, you discover all of this new stuff and then people discover all sorts of implications about the new discovery. They develop all sorts of different products and different, different applications of that technology through sort of exploration. We wanna talk about technology that exists in our stories or in our worlds that we don't have a clear path to, right? So an interesting kind of tangent in order to make this delineation between what, what we'd understand as science and super science is like, um, if we talk about AI, right? That, we, you could define that as super science in some ways, I kind of get it, but we can also sort of see the steps. We only lack the power to do it right Mm -hmm. like so it's like raw computing power and a lot of deep learning tech and we kind of have this idea about how we can make that happen we're just not a hundred percent sure on some of the steps Mm -hmm. whereas a contragravity for example is not something we can um we can develop we have no idea how that could come together so contragravity is just another term for artificial gravity or anti-gravity so the ability to manipulate gravity. Just making sure everybody understands the term there. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of pushback. Um, artificial gravity is an interesting one because we in some senses do know how to manufacture it Yeah. through motion, right? We yeah, could say, yeah. okay, so if you can spin fast enough, you can generate gravity. 
Um, but what we're talking about when we talk about anti-gravity is actually like anti-gravity fields. It's the ability to manipulate on a large scale. Um, it's the ability to use it for things like flight, defenses. But what I think is most interesting about a lot of these super science ideas is um, teleportation, anti-gravity. All of these things are going to have severe impacts on your world and not just on the singular aspect that, that we often pick for them to have an impact. So often what we'll do when we're building our world is we will pick a super science and then we'll say, okay, they have this super science. So that means that they can fly. Yay. They yeah. have, you know, anti-gravity so they can fly. What we don't talk about is what else it means for them to have anti-gravity. So the thing that I keep being amazed by with this is that like, when we, when we talk about it, we start with the transportation space. We're always like, oh, contragravity, that means flying cars. That's great. What we don't consider is how it might impact manufacturing space or um, some of just the practical problems that we run into. Like large ships cannot enter atmosphere. Um, usually, I mean, sometimes it's a limit for their own um, thrusting capabilities and all kinds of things like that. And like, usually they're on maneuvering thrusters or something when they're going down there and they're just not designed to hold the bulk of the ship up. They're just designed to turn it in space. And there are all these like limitations to it. There's um, a scene in Mass Effect that I love where they're talking about a ship that has turned around and they're saying it turned so fast it would have sheared our ship in half if we'd tried that. And so that what they're talking about there is specifically um, the manufacturing techniques used to put the ship together, right? They're, it, what it tells you is they're using metals that we don't know about and they're, and they're able to move their ships very quickly. So Mass Effect does a very, very good job of laying some of this stuff out because the central tech in their world is actually gravity manipulation functionally. Well, it's mass manipulation. Right. They are able, through the use of an element called element zero, which is nearly as good as unobtainium, they're able to um, reduce a ship's mass to negligible amounts. And then when you apply even the barest amount of thrust to it, the thing just goes <clears throat> across the galaxy. Right. So they're able, to, they're able to move ships very quickly. And there are these mass effect relays that are able to reduce a ship's mass into like, and I don't think even they fully understand it all the time, but it's able to, it's able to functionally shoot a ship across parts mm -hmm. of the galaxy. So it's an instant teleportation thing. But the implications of this for manufacturing, they use it for weapons. So that what they do is when they're firing bullets out of their guns, they reduce the bullets to minimal mass and then fire them out and the bullets regain their mass as they go and, and slam into things. And that's how they figured out how to do it. And they also use it for kinetic shields. And one of the things we were talking about before is like usually people's imaginations only goes as far as some major field of everyday life like transportation, but we don't consider that being able to manipulate gravity or mass would mean that you could dry dock dreadnoughts on a planet, which is amazing mm -hmm. because then you don't have to expend the resources to get a lot of people up into space. The kind of facilities you can make and things like that are all very- It would make a space elevator totally possible. Oh, 100%. Right, because and you'd be able to enter atmosphere um, and you'd be able to fix in relative position in the relative orbit. Yeah. And then you'd be able to go up and down 
the space elevator, no problem. But at that point, would you even need a space elevator? Because exactly. here's the thing. Here's the thing about an anti-gravity field that people like. If you had like a personal anti-gravity field, or better yet, the personal ability to manipulate gravity, right? Mm. Hold with me for a second as I branch out here because I want to pitch something that I think is a really interesting application of super science that we don't talk about a lot. Yeah. If I had the ability to manipulate gravity through a device or by myself, I would not only have a nearly impenetrable defense, I would have the ability to move at unbelievable speeds. I would have the ability to isolate myself from harmful environments. I would have a weapon that is incredibly destructive. I'd have all of these different things. And that doesn't then take into account any implications on time, how time would pass for me, right? Because mm. we know that gravity has an impact oh, on my time. Gosh. Yeah. So one of the really interesting things about I mean, speculative fiction is speculative, right? Yeah. And let me take us again on this little tangent about super science. Yeah. Isaac Asimov is without question one of the greatest science fiction writers ever. Just has written, his books are um, <clears throat> foundational. That's a joke. Uh, foundational to- Oh, that's good. How we understand science fiction. Mm. In the foundation series though, apart from the super science that he gives us with like the spaceships hmm. and stuff like that and the, the ray guns and the personal defense shields that people can carry around, he brings up two different areas where super science is developed. Yeah. The first is with mutation. What mutation would do to humans. Hmm. Second is with math. What does sufficiently advanced math do to people? And yeah. so the Foundation series is entirely based on the idea that sufficiently advanced math predicts the future, Yeah, right? Is that an application of super science? That's actually a really good question. Because that has tremendous implications, and it's based on computing that we can't do. Okay, so let's take this in a more easily addressed issue. Yeah, quantum mechanics forms sort of the base for people's excuse for why science works in the future, right? Yeah. So a lot just, of times oh, we understand this a lot better, right? Yeah. A lot of times, you know, in the worlds that we create, the answer from a super science point of view is, oh, it's quantum, like the uh, old sci-fi TV show Quantum Leap where they yes. can change dimensions and the right. quantum universe or realm that they find in Ant-Man that allows them to travel time. And right. uh, yeah, we know to some extent how quantum mechanics works, right? Mm. Let me, let me rephrase that. I have no idea how quantum mechanics works, but there are people. I too am ignorant of this. <laughs> who have a good sense of it. Yeah. We don't know anything about quantum mechanics, but people know something about quantum yeah. mechanics. We as in humanity have some yes. conception of it. <laughs> like, but the aggregate amount we understand is very small as, right. a, as, as, a, as a culture, the background radiation of under, but a few people. <laughs> Good grip. Right. So as we're talking about super science, it's okay if we have some inkling of how things connect, just like thanks to Einstein and then the work of other uh, mathematicians and physicists, we have some inkling of how gravity interacts with everything mm. else. But we don't really understand it. And we don't understand how to manipulate it. 
So I'm, I'm still searching here in a sense for the fairy cake, right? Yeah. I'm still searching yeah. for the point of balance where we say, okay, from this idea, we can extrapolate all of these things. We can apply this principle to a piece of science and then make it super science. Well, this is, this is where I think this gets really interesting because there are elements of speculative fiction, like somebody had mentioned Flash Crowd. Um, I was discussing this on, on, a, on a group of mine on Facebook. And um, it was the idea that you have a teleportation device that's created a displacement device. And I, I believe, and like I'm actually not sure on this, so I'll have to research and correct myself in the notes. I think this is where we get the term flash mob from because some places were called, called it you know, a flash mob. And his theory was that if you develop displacement technology, some sort of ability to move from one place to another with rapid movement and very little expense, that it would mean that like any time uh, there was something you felt you needed to weigh in on personally, uh, and in his case, it was protests and mobs and riots, that you could just go there instantly. So it removes that barrier to entry. So his idea was, if you make it really, really cheap to do, you can go, you can just go invest. And social media, I think, really proves this theory, because when it gets very, very cheap and easy, it becomes very, very easy just to put your oar in. Whereas before, like if you wanted to weigh in on a massive cultural issue, you'd have to find some soapbox to stand on and enough people to listen to you. Now you can mm -hmm. just send it out on Facebook and talk to 500 of your closest friends immediately about every thought that you have. Um, Unless so, they've all blocked you and you don't know it. Yeah, which is just a wonderful feeling. Like the, <laughs> the, the silence on Facebook is just sometimes the best. But um, so the, what I, all this to say, in his world, flash mobs happen. In Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty. You know, like right. it is assumed technology, right? And it's assumed in a lot of sci-fi. Like you, I think you'd mentioned like in, or in Firefly, it seems as though they have artificial gravity. But more than that, they have the ability to stop them from all being squished into goo when their ships accelerate to 5.5G right. or something at, at rapid speed. And so it's like, or, or at least, you know, from, from um, some sort of uh, stroke or heart attack that you'd usually get. They're not there in like, in, like in, in the expanse, they're all in seats and they're getting loads of stimulants injected into them. So they're sure they stay awake as they're traveling, you know, Four mm -hmm. five Gs, and their bones creak, and they get hurt and stuff traveling at that speed. And if somebody's out of their chair, it's like you're dead because every time the yeah. ship maneuvers, they just get thrown around in it. So, um, so I want to bring bring this up. Anytime you have a super science, unless you are writing super science for a specific narrative purpose, I think that it behooves you to think about the knock on implications. So for instance, yes. I have in, in my ships in Star Wars, people walk around like there's normal gravity inside the ship. The, even people in a fighter, this is what's weird. You see them in the fighter and they're not floating. Like their hair isn't floating, like yeah. everything. So obviously there's artificial gravity there. Well, if there's artificial gravity there, why can't you use it for propulsion? When you can imagine that you can generate artificial gravity at a whim, the knock-on implications get really broad. And sometimes they didn't think about technology the same way. Like it's 1980s right. future tech is really funny to look at because we can travel space and generate artificial gravity, but the computer readout is still green and it goes, yes, as the text comes along the top. You go, right. Yeah. 
this is another interesting thing about super science. It's not entirely inconceivable that a society would have a breakthrough in one area and that area would explode, right? And they would not have breakthroughs in other areas. Yeah. So the idea that you might have a breakthrough in metal composition, right? Material composition. So you have a breakthrough, you suddenly discover that you can create a material that can withstand just unbelievable shearing force. Yeah. Right? The implications of that are that you can then apply huge amounts of pressure to it, Mm. right? And not worry about impact of turning or you can create structures that are just strong enough to withstand just terrible environments, right? You can build in ways that we wouldn't be able to build today, right? You can build towers that go up into the atmosphere. You could, in theory, if you had a strong enough material, you could build your space elevator. Yeah. Yeah, You then have another civilization or another society that has a breakthrough in a different way, right? They have the breakthrough with anti-gravity. Well, the implications of, of those two branches of science could get you to the same place. The anti-gravity people could have a spaceship and the material composition people could have a spaceship as well. Those spaceships are just going to operate in completely different ways, right? And the implications of, the, of those technologies are going to be completely different. And they don't have to cross. You don't have to say that, like maybe the people who discovered these cool material compositions all wear spacesuits. And maybe when the gravity people meet them, they think to themselves, ooh, who are these bugs? Because actually everybody's wearing a spacesuit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You have some some really interesting interactions because alien technology is almost always super science, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know how they got there because they may not have taken the same technological route Right? They might not have ever developed computing if their mathematics was sufficiently advanced and the people who were doing the mathematics could do it sufficiently quickly. It's a little like in Dune where um, they, uh, they had a, the, the history in Dune is that they had a war with thinking machines um, and, they, and they formed what was called the Butlerian Jihad, which is where they destroyed all the thinking machines and then banned them. And so using mm-hmm. the spice with the precognitive abilities, which I would honestly interpret as a kind of um, vast uh, intuitive mathematics, they're mm-hmm. able to figure things out in the future. And so people like Mentats and Guild Space Navigators to navigate uh, complex hyperspace lanes, Mm -hmm. they use these people of just exceptional intellect as a result of the spice and the precognitive abilities that it has. So you get like the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood and Mm -hmm. uh, Bennett's Lilacs and all kinds of different factions that all kind of have this use for this. And then you have X who are just like, we're going to make computers anyway. And um, (laughs) uh, everybody's kind of like secretly using their technology, but no one kind of wants to say it. And so there's all kinds of stuff like that that are poking around. And it's also usually when somebody develops a tool, we find a way to counter it. And those sorts of implications with, with super tech are the kinds of things that I think we often miss. And it's like, I, I am fascinated by the boring elements of technology, which is why, you know, we hear contragravity and someone thinks space car. And I think 
wouldn't it be awesome if we could do that with concrete? Imagine the weird stuff we could do with concrete if we, if we could manipulate gravity in some ways, or even better, art. Art would change. We, we'd be able to make stuff in different ways. Like you could make a contragravity, highly detailed, 3D printed concrete structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, using using contragravity, just the, manipulating the fields in the correct way so the material moves in different fashion. And you can actually create all kinds of weird, wacky stuff with that. But a lot of times, super science is just understood as a background effect. And that may be all you're looking for in your story. If you just want to say, well, teleportation exists, which is kind of what they do in Star Trek, um, or warp technology exists. And it's sort of just this assumed background technology that they don't really go into detail with because mostly Star Trek is concerned about the intersection of different cultures and how they talk and react and respond to each other. That's primarily what they're concerned with. It's where their themes are driven. So it seems as if super science at times can be the center of a theme. It can be used in speculative fiction, but speculative fiction needn't be a super science. If somebody had thought, hey, what about social media in the 1980s? you know, it, it wouldn't have felt inconceivable that that could happen. You know, oh, mm-hmm. network computers, that feels doable. Mm-hmm. Um, AI, I think I would not classify necessarily as a super science because it anymore. feels as if it's getting there anymore. Yeah, actually, that may be a good point is that uh, we, we have the tech now to see that. Um, and so I, I think what, what maybe counts as a super science has changed over time. Would you say that, think, Seth? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when H.G. Wells is writing when Edgar Rice Burroughs is writing when Asimov is writing Hmm. they are writing about things that were on the very edge of what was conceivable to them Hmm. and I think though that that a lot of the things that we thought were or that people in the past thought were completely out of the realm of possibility Right, we are starting to say, no, no, you could, you could conceivably you could do that. that. One of the things, though, that I would, I would really encourage people to consider, is what purpose super science has in their world, mm. right? Because like we're approaching this from a strict world building point of view, which yeah. means the implications are really important. Yeah, yeah. And boundary establishment. And boundary establishment. What can this not do? Right? Well, because you might say, hey, guess what? We can do anti-gravity, but we can't reduce the field size. Or, so it only works on big ships. If you turned it on on, on a it planet. It can't be miniaturized or right, made right. to a certain size. or Yeah, you can't adjust it. it. It simply is based on the amount of material you use as the, uh, the driving force or as the um, fuel for whatever the technology is. Well, it it, it kind of has similar rules to magic, doesn't it? Because like when we talk about magic existing within a given setting, one of the first questions everybody asks is, well, why don't you just magic your way into the into the fortress? You know, why can't you do that? And right. it's like, well, they have an anti-magic field generated by, you know, millennia old necromantic, you know, necromantic right. magic or something. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess I can't do that. Or there is no <laughs> life there. And I can only do magic where there is life from which to draw power. You know, uh, right. th- there's a sense that like super science almost has to have a couple of these rules. Like one is that um, in Star Trek for a while, you couldn't use uh, transporters when you were going at warp speed or mm-hmm. you cannot use transporters when somebody else is engaged in a, in a force field. Um, in Dune, we have force fields, but 
they, they, they have a limitation in that slow moving objects can make it through them. So you can be stabbed through it, but you cannot be shot through it. Right. Right. So there, there were, and lasers make them explode. So not everybody uses lasers because it makes you and the laser explode when it shoots them. So like yep. he, Fra Frank Herbert didn't really, I don't think he cared too much about it. I well, think that, he was yeah. mostly concerned about ecology and he was mostly concerned about culture. And right. so, but he still had to apply. There had to be limitations in his world though. He, he literally just said some sciences were just not going to allow. And I think it's probably because he didn't want to speculate as to their, as to their development. So he just said, okay, no computers. And then he was also yeah. like, well, what about nuclear weapons? Like they're not allowed. It's a treaty. And like, there are some things that happen like that where you just say, you know what? We're not allowed to use transportation tech anymore. You know why? Because it kills somebody. When you teleport somebody, you are digitally transmitting them from one place to another. We're not comfortable with the amount of people that die in that. That's what happened in the prestige. We have learned that that's bad. You are duplicating a person. He just drowned the other guy. The transporter just dematerializes them, right? So right. we're happy as long as you just delete them. If, if every time Scotty teleported in um, he had to do Star Trek with an just, axe. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> put him down with an axe. <laughs> like, and, and just sort of the realization that like, Scotty doesn't know when he goes in the transportation buffer, if in the next couple of minutes, he is going to be the one that wakes up or the one that gets deleted, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's not really, it kind of is not really what happens. And we recognize that, but, um, there could be ethical problems with your super science that just mean you can't be done. So these are some good limitations you can place on it. Say mm -hmm. we are ethically opposed to, um, you know, uh, some sort of prescient technology because it's viewed as voyeurism, right? Like they right. just say like it, because the other thing is this, we talk about AI and for a while, AI was like a super science thing, thinking machines, you know, it was like, wow. And now we spend most of our time talking to at least like, you know, Alexa is not a, a real AI, but mm -hmm. we're mostly yelling at her about not putting cottage cheese in our grocery list correctly. You know, it's like, add this to my grocery list. And it's like, uh, Parmesan cheese was invented in 19... And it's like, no, shut up, shut up, stop. I want you to do this. And it's like, the, the results of the development of these wings of super science were somewhat underwhelming. You know, it's we found a way to connect everybody together on the internet. And what do we do with it? Mostly memes. Like, and... And that's fine, but that's kind of how humans use their technology. It becomes very mundane and it becomes what will, what will sell, you know, it's like, um, that or, right yeah. there though, that right there is probably the most important practical world building piece of advice we can give. Yeah. If you understand humanity, you understand that marketability has more impact on the development of technology than anything else ever so contragravity will probably be used as a tool to fix erectile dysfunction before it will drive spaceships like yes. it's, it's just like the reality of it is that like yes. it um that may not be a good example to throw into there but like another thing is like uh, it, so, so the expanse does this really well as well the expanse is a phenomenal series please look at it because they talk a lot about the implications of super science because i'm not going to give it away because the show's great but they get some super science dropped on them at one point the ability to travel instantaneously and it wrecks their social infrastructure because there are these people who lived in space for ages the belters and suddenly the resources that they have been relying on in their economy and the reason why they are misshapen incredibly tall people who cannot survive in gravity is because they rely 
relied on mining the asteroid belt. But suddenly when you can get to another terrestrial planet and send Earth-born people there to live, which they can't because they're too tall and, they're, and they're, all their bones are really thin and weak and brittle and their muscles can't support it, they're suddenly like, well, you can mine terrestrially now. You literally don't need us. So you abused us for 150 years mining in the asteroid belt we worked so hard. The amount of technological developments that were needed for us to survive in space are suddenly totally fruitless. They build all these mirrors around Jovian moons so they can use Ganymede to like grow uh, food. They basically build these big domes on there and grow food and reflect all the light from the sun on mirrors and all these amazing wonders of technology. Suddenly useless. And so they throw an all-fired rebellion basically as a result. And that's an implication that we don't consider. Usually we only see the upside in the super science. But the other thing was this, if somebody gets hurt and you're in space, you know what your blood does? It just pools and you, and you, get, and you, get, and you get infections and you get sepsis and you need gravity to heal some wounds, right. which is a really crazy thought. Like the idea that contragravity could have big impacts on the way people deal with hypertension, right? And all kinds of other like diseases, like if you could reduce it, the implications go in, insane. They do. The idea that the science you come up with is going to be exploited by a capitalist mm. is, is pretty much 100% if capitalism exists in your world, right? Yeah, because it doesn't in Star Trek. Yeah, we're constantly talking about boundaries. We're constantly talking about fairy cake, right? So that is the the outside edge where your super science stops mm. and fairy cake, what the um, germinating factor is, right? Or what the seed that germinates is. So I think a good practical tip for developing believable super science, and it's a little interesting to say believable super science, um, mm. or a little bit funny to say believable super science, because obviously super science is really far beyond what we know to be true, or what we, um, what we can reasonably theorize with our current science. As you pick an idea, I think that limiting yourself to certain applications isn't bad. But you need to think about why you are limited to certain applications of that science, right? And it could be as simple as we have anti-gravity. We cannot control the field size, which means we cannot make a, a belt that controls gravity for a single individual, right? We can only do it on a mass scale. Maybe it's technology that has been dropped on you right? Yeah. Having something that people find and then be like a black box that people can manipulate is a great option for developing technology that's on a, a tangent, technology that is more advanced than everything else in, in a world. But maybe, maybe instead you want to just say there are social implications to this technology that have caused a reaction, Right? Maybe you say AI became too powerful or was perceived as a threat, so computers were done away with. And now they have to find a different way to do this, right? So maybe you have super science that's faster than light travel, but it takes them weeks to plot out the correct path because they have to do it with a paper and pencil. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. So I think 
one of the things that we need to understand is that just because you have a piece of super science in your world does not mean that it has to be the most advanced civilization of all time. A great example of this is the Foundation series, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Where the technology that they have enables them to build this galaxy-spanning empire mm. that then falls apart. As there is civil war, planets become isolated and they fall and now that they're not getting resources from the central worlds, they fall into barbarianism. Right? Yeah. They they regress. A bunch of really people become far. petty warlords all Absolutely. over the place. Yeah. And then you have a faction that goes from place to place trading material. But because everybody is so afraid of the technology that they bring, they're considered shaman, right? They're yeah. considered wizards. They're sort of hated and decried by all of these local populations because they have ray guns, because yeah. they have personal nuclear-powered shields, Yeah, right? So you can have super science without making everything amazing, right? You can have super science without making everything super, if that makes sense. I think that's a good, a good sense of that. I, I, I think one of the things, and I, I think Seth, you've summed up our really our best advice on this because a lot of people get away with implausibility in their worlds, but there is a limit to the tolerance and uh, for it. And some of it is what the narrative concerns. Like you can get away with a lot of stuff just by having a narrow focus in your narrative. Mm -hmm. Harry Potter is the example I keep coming back to because like it's an incredibly sparsely built world and many of the implications of the ideas that J.K. Rowling discusses are not really built upon, especially mm -hmm. like the limitations of magic and how people make spells and things like that. Like there's all sorts of really good questions. Um, and I think it's fair to say that super science has a lot of similarities to magic. Um, it must be hard to do. There's got to be a reason why not everybody is just using this to solve problems. The reality is with technology, I think it's that it doesn't require you to be special. That's the thing about super science is anybody can pick up the ray gun and shoot it. They don't need to know the right incantations. They don't need to be worshiping the right deity. They can just pick it up and shoot it. And um, that's one of the things that makes it interesting is people can have technology. They don't fully understand the black box thing. Or sometimes mm -hmm. some technology just requires understanding uh, or is understanding. Like uh, the... Um, forerunners in halo have a have a have a way of thinking and a technique called neural physics and it's a it's the link of all life together in the universe and all matter all being they, they view the universe as a living thing and it enables them to build technology that we cannot comprehend functionally eternal buildings and star roads and all kinds of crazy stuff and it's something we can't fully comprehend we only see the results of it but it has partly to do with a whole branch of science we don't understand it's the same with arrival and the the ability to um if you've not seen that movie that's a really interesting work where yes. um the the main character learns a language and in learning the language is able to perceive time differently um so that's a super science technology that is not displayed in the same way. So if you want a little bit of originality, sometimes, uh, or at least to explore something in a different way, sometimes a social construct or way of thinking might be a really interesting way to have technology work that you can't, sim you simply can't do it until you have adopted a certain ideological framework in your mind. There may be reasons why technology develops quickly in some places um, and doesn't in others. So essentially first we started with this. 
what super science? Something more or less inconceivable in our, in our, with our current understanding of science. So it's, we don't know how it works. Now that can vary depending on when you talk about it. You know what I mean? Like we love Victorian super science. We call it steampunk, right? Also, we, we explore this idea that science really develops at loads of different rates, right? Like it's, it's just because you have one piece of tech doesn't mean you have all the knock-on pieces of tech that you'd assume you have. It's like, oh, you can manipulate gravity. Of course you can teleport people. Well, that may not be a problem that they solve. Then also going into the implications of the tech. You don't have to do this. Your scope and your narrative may not go into the whys and wherefores of it, but you may also encounter problems that you want to explore in a little bit more depth or you want to explain the limitations, which is maybe the next most important thing. It's not so much a question of what your super science does sometimes as what your super science can't do. You have to be able to explain why you can't just teleport there or you can't just uh, squish them using your contragravity ray, or you can't just, you know, you, you, you can't just apply your super science in a way that fixes the problem immediately. Now we talked about some ways that you can do that, right? So there's ethical concerns. If Scotty dies every time Scotty teleports, there may be a reason why we don't want to do it, you know, or there could be sometimes people sprout extra arms or get combined together or any number of things that happen and they just go, well, the, it's too dangerous right now. We need to develop it. There could be ethical problems. You could honestly have union organization against some technologies. Like these kinds of things exist right now where we have technology that has surpassed the usefulness of some essentially trades, but we keep them in place because, you know, the union or the laws organize themselves around them in order to help them continue doing it. Now, this can be a good thing because people have jobs and all kinds of stuff. Like there's a lot of implications to it. I'm not meaning to cast shade on it exclusively, but it's like, these are real things that exist in our world right now, and you can use them moving forward. Or for instance, the Butlerian Jihad. Historically, there's a reason why we don't use thinking machines, and it's because they tried to kill all of us, so we don't do it anymore. You know, um, Or better yet, rock, paper, scissors. I can't use my technology. Why? Because my technology is scissors and they have a rock. I can't get past it. There's a field that prevents me from doing it. Um, Seth, is there anything else you want to throw onto that before we, before we call it quits? Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is super science is great because we can let our imagination really go wild. Mm. As world builders, we are often tied to sort of the meat and potatoes, and we're often tied to the nitty gritty details mm. of why things work. Remember, like having an element of mystery in your world isn't a bad thing. And there's nothing wrong with having technology that people just really don't understand. I use a cell phone. I don't understand how it works. I don't need to understand how it works to use it. Mm. There's a lot of technology that I don't understand how it works. And I don't need to understand how, to, how it works in order to use it. And so I would encourage you that while the person who developed the technology in your world needs to understand it, nobody else in society really needs to understand it. You can have super science where they say, huh, I wonder how this works. You can have teleportation where they discuss, hey, is another me being created and then killed? And somebody else says, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, you, you don't have to answer all of those questions. 
And also right. people could develop phobias based on that. Like, I Absolutely. don't know if I'm going to be the one that feels myself being disintegrated or the one that appears on the other end. Uh, is like, a, like, I don't know. It's just it's, that whole idea. Yes. It's scary. So, so don't feel as if, as long as you have your boundaries, right? As long as you have your fairy cake and as long as you are creating something that is plausible within those constraints, right? It can be extrapolated from your fairy cake and it is limited by your boundaries. I think you're good. You can go wild. You can go in any direction you want and you can come up with some crazy, crazy ideas. Yeah. And I think that's really the best place we can wrap up. In some ways, go nuts. Don't forget some of the implications if you want to dive a little bit deeper, especially if your narrative focuses on it. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I've been James. I'm Seth. This has been another episode of the World Craft Club. Thank you for joining Seth and I on the World Craft Club podcast. Please go ahead and like us, subscribe to us on your preferred app. And if you use iTunes, rate us five stars if you think we're worth the rating. It really helps our numbers. If you're listening here, you're missing out on half the content along with loads of other goodies. So please consider becoming an exclusive club member at our Patreon page, starting at as low as $5 a month. If you have any questions, you can go ahead and jump on our webpage, worldcraftclub.com, to get the latest updates on our blog. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram. This has been the World Craft Club podcast. Thank you for listening. So I don't know if anybody has played... Homeworld, uh, Homeworld, but yeah. dude, that game was so good. I and the it. moment I realized that I didn't have to face people head on, yeah, just unbelievable. The moment that I realized, you can drop I down could, into the middle of their formation. Yeah, you could shift. Yeah. You could shift your plane of view, and then you could attack them from any angle you wanted. And also, that was brilliant. Don't pretend you didn't just set the camera to follow a fighter and just root for him as he's, know, he's right? going in and out of all the different <laughs> formations and stuff like.